Hello, and welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. I'm Priscilla McKinney, CEO and Mama Bird here at Little Bird Marketing. And with me today, we are going to kick off a crazy topic that often gets talked about, but never seems to get resolved. So with me today is Hesky Rosenzweig. And he is the best person, in my opinion, to talk about data quality. You got to get a load of this. So he is a doctoral candidate at Columbia University, and he is also the senior research and product scientist at Cloud Research. So he works around improving data quality in online research, and that's what we're going to talk about today, his expertise in designing and testing systems and just getting rid of low-quality respondents and getting that real representation from, you know, from the actual respondents. So Hesky, thank you for joining me. You are, you are the expert in this field. How are you today? I am good. Thank you, Priscilla. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here with you. Talk about pretty important topic. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, I did start this when we were offline before we started recording. Pesky, I just have to say, you are like the nicest person. (laughs) You are so kind. You're so wicked smart. But then when we start talking about quality issues or data quality, we start talking about some really interesting, like in-depth, like what are you actually doing about data quality? You're very patient with me and you explain things. So I really appreciate it. Thank you, Priscilla. You ask really good questions that I think often helps us also clarify a lot of the thoughts that we have sometimes that are just floating around. Yeah, Um, yeah. Well, let me start with kind of the bombshell, right? Because you guys kind of hit this industry with a really interesting study about uh, some CDC research, right? And so I know we want to talk about a lot of different things, but let's start with this bombshell about why data quality is so important, because if nobody agrees with us, and it's kind of like, ah, oh, whatever, then the rest of this, the show really isn't going to mean anything to them. So let's talk about what happened. Let's kind of build that case about what you guys found and how you presented that to the world. And I mean, so then why do we need to have this conversation? Sure. Yeah. So absolutely. This is a big conversation with a lot of real world effects. Um, and, you know, At cloud research, a lot of us are always kind of reading the news with our minds that that already are kind of pre-programmed to look for data quality issues. And actually the chief research officer and co-CEO Leib Littman was the first to kind of take a look at this article that was being covered everywhere by the CDC that was collected online using um, one of the really big suppliers in the industry. And it, they, they had found data that kind of on the face of itself looked pretty shocking um, and also really interesting to people, which is why it was covered. And what they found was that they, they launched this survey back, I think it was last year um, around this time. And they found some really high rates of people reporting to do really strange things with bleach uh, to prevent COVID-19. I mean, this was around the time that it was in the news. Uh, uh, At the time, Trump had made some really interesting comments uh, that uh, people were talking a lot about. (laughs) That's Uh, a nice way of putting it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so there was certainly um, kind of this plausible idea that maybe there were some people out there 
doing some ridiculous things with bleach to prevent COVID. Um, and so the CDC ran this study where they looked at lots of different COVID practices. And one of the numbers that they, they came out with, it was, it was something like around 30% of people are doing you know, really dangerous uh, kinds of behaviors to prevent COVID-19 and like really mis misapplying cleaning practices. And so we, we dug into that data a little bit and some of the, the numbers were just looking like some of the things that we've seen in really messy data sets. And in particular, there were some questions about like inhaling bleach that people were responding, uh, you know, somewhere in the 10% range. But, you know, if you looked across all these different kinds of bad cleaning practices, the, this is where the CDC got their 30% number, you know, it was just kind of off the charts. And so we, we dug into that data a little bit and we had the suspicion that a lot of this might've been due to some messy data um, that came in from some participants who could have been not paying attention, could have been you know, not necessarily even real people who speak English, which was the language the survey was conducted in. And so we basically replicated their study um, a couple of weeks after it was launched, we tried to use all the same exact methods. And um, basically what we found was that when we looked at messy data, we got really similar effects. But when we used this tool that we have called Sentry, um, and we also used additional in-survey data quality checks, we kind of threw the the whole gamut of data quality checks at the survey. Essentially, all of those scariest findings that the CDC were reporting about people inhaling bleach and putting, you know, cleaning their fruits and vegetables with Clorox or whatever the specifics were, they all went away. That is so um, interesting because we all feel like something comes from the CDC. We're going to trust it. This is, that's really kind of strikes at the heart of that consumer confidence. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think for, for us as well, I can speak for myself personally, like, yeah, I mean, I see the CDC and, and still do as like a really critical institution that <laughs> is there to keep us safe from things and, right. and tell us the facts. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't think it was any fault of their own either. You know, I think a lot of people who are not really in or close to the industry and the suppliers um, kind of are okay turning their head the other way or really, really don't even know the extent of some of the quality issues and some of the securities and protections that you just need to put in place. So the CDC didn't do it on purpose, I'm sure. I think they just didn't know. Um, right, right. Well, yeah. I asked you to come on specifically to talk about data quality because it's one of those things that as I have been in the market research world for now many years, and I've been a speaker specifically just working in marketing, but from the outside looking in, I think that's an interesting perspective because I'm not emotionally involved in a lot of the conversations and the thought leadership in that sense. Like what are the biggest, most pressing issues affecting the market research insights um, industry? But so as an outsider, I can almost appreciate it more because I'm listening and hearing the same, same things on repeat. And it is all around data quality. And so then when you and I ended up talking about, okay, everybody keeps complaining about this issue, but it does not appear to me that people are doing anything about it. And then 
here, you know, I, I, I connect with cloud research and I find out what you're doing, but I think there's this disconnect in the struggle. You guys have it, you know, what I would consider to be solved, but yet just what you mentioned it's like a lot of people are willing to turn the other way and it's kind of business as usual. So can we talk about that? Like is 2022 by any, you know, possibility going to be a year of data quality where people really take what we know, what you just shared and actually start applying it and getting better, you know, better data. Well, I mean, I, I hate to be like pessimistic or optimistic, but what do you think? You're you're in this world from academia all the way into CPG, into you know uh, political polling, yeah. every you know the whole gamut. What do you think? Yeah, I don't. You know, I I think it's hard to predict where we're gonna go. Uh, I I do think, you know, you mentioned academia, and I, I think in academia, the standards are a little bit different and. I think people are very aware of the problem in academia um, and they tend to not necessarily be using the same suppliers as the people outside of academia are. And in academia, I think the way that people often deal with data quality is not particularly uniform uh, either, um, but people are a little bit more aware of it and conscientious of it and afraid of getting called out on it than mm -hmm. they are outside of academia. Mm -hmm. um, I think in academia too, obviously, there's like a lot of uh, pressures kind of towards opening up your methods and your data and how you did things. And so that that also helps to hold people up a little bit more accountable right. uh, to really right. put the right checks in place mm -hmm. um, in the beginning. Um, well, that kind of peer scrutiny, I'm, you're in the middle of it as a doctoral candidate, right? I am. So, I am. so everybody wants to see, how did you get this data? So um, help everybody understand a little bit then um, from your perspective, you know, at Cloud Research, you specifically are designing and testing these systems that are really handling and, and, and really, you know, hitting these uh, core issues head on. So what would you think is the best, uh, you know, the best way forward in order to get like that, that beautiful scrutiny from academia, um, but maybe a little bit more process oriented and, you know, being able to access more people, which is what's needed over on the corporate side. So what's that transition? What does that look like? Absolutely. And I think we've thought a lot about this question at Cloud Research, probably the most, uh, at least of anybody I'm aware of. Um, so thank you for asking me a question. I feel like <laughs> I try to answer. Um, so I think part of the solution is one product in particular that I've been working a lot on. Um, and it's called Sentry. I mentioned it earlier in the case of the CDC study. It's a, a product that can be applied to any supplier. Um, and it performs essentially an, an interview uh, for each participant that before they come in to sort of the, the client survey, the survey that you're thinking about, that's the one that's going to make the data for whoever it is. Um, and Sentry interviews a person uh, essentially with both uh, technological uh, security checks and also uh, behavioral questions. And it's, it's a really cool system that has a lot of different elements that kind of all come together to stop a very large portion of this bad data that could come in. 
and it, it can stop people who are inattentive, who are fraudulent and kind of posing to be, say, in a particular demographic group that you're trying to survey. Um, and it also you know, has a lot of the built-in tech features that are actually becoming more standard in the field and being used by most suppliers. But Sentry kind of has all the pieces in one to get the best people to enter into the survey. And again, it can be, yeah, go ahead. So yeah, yeah, I heard two things there I wanted to unpack. So there's some behavioral things and then there's some technical things, but they, you're saying that it really needs to be a blend of, of both in order to really combat fraud and com- combat, not just fraud, but also just low quality, the responses. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. You, you got to have both. And uh, I think Sentry is the product that deals with both sides it might, it's one of the only products that deals with both sides, and I, I think it's the one that does it best. Um, okay. we, we work really hard. I'm happy to dive into any of those particular pieces that you're more curious about. Well, um, I think on this podcast, what we're always trying to do is pull the curtain back, and we're all talking kind of jargon out there. So I'm going to get really yeah. specific, and and Let's and and it. you know, it's okay for me if I you know show my ignorance. I don't I don't mind. This is my show, so I get to do whatever I want. <laughs> but behavioral. Let's make sure we're we know what we're talking about. So behavioral would be in it, it, how I see it. Things like people say, okay, I'm going to take this survey online. I'm going to get paid to do it, and so. Mm-hmm. I get on there and I start taking it, but then my kid walks in the room. Now I'm starting to take care of my kid. And now I'm like, not really behaving in the way I was intended to behave during taking the study. Now I'm very distracted. And mm-hmm. so it would be my understanding. That's something that would kind of fall under a behavioral check. Let me just see if she's behaving that way. Uh, absolutely. So when, when I use the word behavioral, I'm referring to things that measure a participant's behavior while they are clicking around on Sentry, on this pre-survey interface. And that includes how they respond to questions. It could also include things like how they're moving their mouse or um, whether or not they're uh, translating uh, the questions that they're seeing into another language so that they can answer it. So those are some of the things that I mean when I say behavioral. When absolutely, I think there is certainly uh, behaviors that we are trying to stop um, and catch. And the example you gave is like, I guess, someone who's being inattentive, mm-hmm. right? And I, I think someone who's inattentive will not be able to respond to certain survey questions in the same way that someone who is attentive will be able to. Mm-hmm. And we make some of our questions uh, so that people who are paying attention can pass them and people who are not paying attention cannot. So um, give me an example of that. What's a question that you throw out in there that that gives you a dead giveaway that something wrong is happening? Sure. So a lot of questions that you might sometimes see in the end, it's not uncommon. I'll start here if we can. Okay, note sure. It. It's, it's not uncommon in the industry for people to ask questions somewhere along the way in their survey, in their process, to try to figure out if people are paying attention Uh, to the questions that are asked. Typically, people might kind of pepper the same uh, or similar kind of attention checks throughout their survey um, to make sure that people are, say, responding to a question like, please select strongly disagree if you're paying attention. Uh, (laughs) And people who don't will then be routed out of the survey or, you know, their data will be discounted afterwards. Right. 
we try to take things a little bit further in Sentry, um, and we actually have created libraries with different types of questions. And the way that we created these libraries was through really extensive testing of um, specific types of questions. And we have one kind of question, I'm gonna, gonna get to the specifics now, okay. the one kind of question that, that essentially asks people to, it, it presents people with a word and it asks people a very simple question, what word is most associated with the word, let's say computer? And there are four answer choices. And one answer choice is very clearly associated with the word computer, something like mouse or keyboard. And there are three other answer choices that have nothing to do with computer. And so if someone speaks English, is paying attention, they're gonna click the right answer, right? And we developed these questions actually through like a pretty cool mix of technology and testing. So the questions are actually created based on how words are connected to each other in some really big databases of frequently used words. Um, and we, we created questions with a specific difficulty level where the correct answer to that question of what's associated with the target word, the computer, um, is something that's pretty closely associated with it, right? right. Um, like for example, maybe the word desk is a little bit associated with computer, but not quite as much as keyboard, right? Um, and, you know, car is less associated with yes computer, very much less <laughs> than either desk or keyboard right and so we actually have ways of um quantifying how easy or difficult a question it can be by varying how closely associated the correct answer is with that target word and how you know distant the association is with the incorrect answers and we we did this and tested it a lot to try to find the best questions which are really good at finding those participants who will be attentive in your surveys later on, but, you know, and doesn't route out, doesn't get rid of, kick out some people who might fail, say, a super difficult attention check that requires you to know the definition of a complicated word that not everybody in the US knows. And, and sometimes you'll, you'll actually see that people are using overly difficult attention checks. So yeah, I mean, we, we, we really are proud of that process that we right. went through to, to get these. So then on the flip side, some of the technological things that you're working on, I know that you said some of them become becoming more standardized in the industry, things like digital fingerprinting, or, you know, even checking someone's IP address. I'm throwing out ideas of things that I hear as an outsider. So are those the kinds of things you're talking about with technology or is it different for Century? Exactly. We, ha we have those all built in. Um, and we have one or two that are a little bit less standard. Um, I'll give you an example. So yeah, duplicate IP addresses. Um, we have uh, geolocation tracking, which really comes in handy and is becoming more standard in the industry. So you can select on a survey level, say if you want people only from the US or only from China, and you'll be able to automatically route out those people who are coming in from other locations. Um, and then we also have some kind of cooler tech features. Um, and one is that we, we, we essentially have what we call an event streamer. We actually have a, a patent for it. And it automatically captures the participants' um, actions as they're going through the survey. And one thing that it can automatically detect and fail 
is if the person's computer automatically translates the questions into a different language. Uh, so we have the technology to catch that and to fail that person. Um, and also like, it, it's really cool because anyone who's using Sentry can actually see, see it happen. Uh, they can see your screen recording and and that that's really nifty and it's I think it, it really shocks people sometimes when they see it because like you said like there's a lot of lingo in the field and uh, you know people <laughs> talk a lot but when you, when you're watching a participant go through your survey and you see that somehow this question that wasn't English automatically got translated to a foreign language um, and like only then could the participant fill it out um, it's like oh wow like this is not the participant that I think I was looking for. Right. Since I was trying to test the certain idea of a concept of a flavor in Louisiana, exactly. the fact that somebody from Hungary is uh, um, translating it is probably not going to help me really understand the point of my survey, which, which I thought I was actually surveying people in Louisiana. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And they, okay. They these probably... are real world solutions. <laughs> Yeah, and they probably never tasted that product that you're asking them about that they may have said that they tasted because they've, you know, from their survey taking experience come to understand that yes is the answer to that yes. question. <laughs> okay, so this is, I think, where we really, you know, bring this home. So let's get real about what's going on in corporate research. You said it would be really interesting if someone were watching their survey in the field and watched it get translated. But you and I both know that sometimes the person who is ordering this research is so far removed from the field work and seeing what happens once a survey gets programmed and goes out there, you know, by the time they get the data, they're far removed. And, and so where's the data check? You know, it, it doesn't, yeah. you know, they're, they're taking that information. They may be making a multi-million dollar decision based on it, but they didn't see that whole experience happen. So this, this is the problem in corporate yep. research right now. And to exacerbate that, I'll throw this out. <laughs> That's yeah. the, I think the thing that people are not realizing when they're on the brand side, like an end client, is that maybe it's a, the dirty little secret about sample is that, you know, really there are very few proprietary panels, you know, people who own the sample and pretty much we're all using the same pool of sample, right? Of respondents to take these surveys. And so having said that, you could be getting a little bit from this company, a little bit from that company, someone else tops it off. You're getting them from all these various sources. These different companies are not using the same vetting processes at all. So this is where you and I had, I think the most interesting conversation. If we understand that's really what's going on in corporate research and people are getting really aggregated sample. And so these are respondents that are going to take your survey and you've got a little bit from every little company, then who really is responsible for the quality? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with so much of what you've just said. I mean, like, yeah, I think often people are using large aggregators who, who frankly are do a, a lot of good for the the industry, right? Because you're you're allowing people to reach all kinds of participants that you know maybe just a single panel provider alone can't can't give you that reach. But like you said, the the issue comes up when there are no kind of securities that are applied, you know, evenly across the field that that at least set some standard for what quality data is. 
And, you know, it, it makes sense for the suppliers in some way to just try to keep the size of their panels as large as possible, right? So that they can say they've got the biggest panels and, you know, they need to have some answer for researchers who come to them saying, hey, what kind of checks do you use? And I think currently the standard is, well, you know, we have double opt-in vetting, they throw a lot of lingo out, double opt-in vetting, and we use this technology and duplicate IP blocking, but it, it's just not enough, right? And, and there isn't a, a kind of system that's there, like Sentry, that, that's being applied at the supplier level for all of these aggregators that, that, that should be there, right? And that, that would end up making the data that researchers are collecting significantly better. And, you know, it could also even help suppliers by helping them know kind of, hey, these are the people that are consistently not performing uh, once we send them to our clients and give them some information back so that they can try to clean up their pool a little bit. Um, right, right. But see, I, this is what I love about you, Husky, is that, you know, you're not demonizing, you know, uh, um, sample aggregators. And I think, you know, again, for me as an outsider listening yeah. to this, I think that people start going, well, it's your fault. It's your fault. You know, you're supposed to clean mm -hmm. the data. You're supposed to clean. It's like, who cares? Absolutely. Can we all just stop having that conversation? Right. So, you know, the big sample companies or even small sample companies, look, they're doing their best to get a representation from everybody that we need in order to take surveys so that we can make informed decisions. So they're doing their part of the job. But then before we take that data, and whether you're the CDC or, you know, you're Procter & Gamble, I don't care which one you are, you know, are you checking to see what was the process you know, so that you could really have confidence in, in the data that's emerging Absolutely. before you go make a big decision. Yeah, that seems pretty reasonable, right? And, you, know, <laughs> you and I, I we've, we've figured it out. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and, so you know, I'm, I'm also, I'm, I'm also like, just to be clear, I'm not advocating that people don't include their own quality checks. And that, that is something that a lot of different researchers do. Uh, and it is, I think, a standard for many researchers in the industry. They're, they say, oh, you know, we'll, we'll include a little something here and there in our survey. And maybe, maybe they even have a process for how they do that for particular surveys. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm all for that. Um, I, I think what we're saying, though, is that there needs to be some kind of standard that, that the field has to has to take. And, you know, there are some standards that are put out in, in some of these really large organizations like, you know, ESOMAR. Um, but I think we need something that really incorporates both behavioral and technological checks that is a like a something that, you know, is a safeguard for everyone, right? Because you yeah. can't rely on that individual researchers, individual lab that they, you know, Sorry, not lab. I'm, I'm back in academia here, but you know, <laughs> in their team, right? That that they they end up implementing that that shouldn't be the only safeguard. Right, right. Well, and even I'm glad you pointed that out about, you know, institutions that we have that are associ associations that are trying to really help us all grapple with this issue. Even Melanie Courtright at uh, 
um, you know, the last uh, um, Insights Association event, she really went in depth about, you know, how people are handling privacy, how they're handling security, how they're you know, how they're doing data quality and sample, and needs everybody's input, you know, because if we're going to clean up our own backyard here, everybody's going to have to participate. But I do want to give you a chance to talk about Century because just as a huge thank you for coming on. And um, I did a little bit of my homework um, and reading it. And one thing that I think is really interesting is that, you know, your team at Cloud Research is putting together, um, you know, these these systems. And I know it includes a lot of um, uh, patents in this whole, you know, uh, low quality versus high quality data area. So that's pretty impressive. But the thing I was most interested in is that as you are making this rally cry for industry standards, what is really interesting to me is that cloud research has your own panel. So you provide, you're really a panel provider, but yet your product century is available to anyone. Anybody can put this, if I understand it correctly, agnostically over any kind of source for sample, correct? That is correct. Anyone can, can use it on any supplier. And, you know, we, we hope, uh, you know, we already are being taken up uh, in some cases by suppliers that we're in conversations with, and in many cases by uh, research teams. And we are happy to work with anyone. And it's it's really easy to kind of implement whether you're a giant supplier or a you know a mom and pop market research shop. Uh, you can just either through API integration or on a study level, you can just kind of squeeze Sentry in there. And it will, it'll change the way that your data looks pretty, pretty significantly. Wow. And hopefully it'll keep you from ingesting bleach too. <laughs> just because, that, just because everybody else is doing it. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we can make that guarantee at Cloud Research. Okay. <laughs> we, we hope to at least, uh, you know, change the kinds of information that's spreading in some way um, so that the the stories that sort of get out and the data that people see are actually more accurate. And, mm-hmm. you know, quite frankly, I, I do think that that has important real world effects on, you know, some kinds of ridiculous behaviors like, and dangerous behaviors like drinking bleach. So, yeah, I mean, I think that is certainly part of what we think about when we think big picture is, mm. is trying to get the real facts out there to help people make better choices for themselves. I love that. I love that. Well, Husky, thank you so much for joining us. You need to go check out cloudresearch.com if you're interested in looking more about their Century project. And that is S-E-N-T-R-Y. So look that, uh, look that product up. But also it's, uh, it's Hesky Rosenzweig and you need to look him up on LinkedIn. So I'm going to spell it for you people. <laughs> for all of you who are going, what? How are you connecting me with him? And it'll of course be in our show notes, but it's Hesky and it's C-H-E-S-K-I-E-R-O-S-E-N. I'll get, let you get a pen. Z-W-E-I-G. So definitely connect with him on LinkedIn and uh, ask away. He loves to geek out on this. He and I talk about this data quality and just, you can, you can hear it in his voice. It's very approachable. So be sure to hit him up for any other questions you have about this. And, you know, I'm on your team, Hesky, where it's data quality 2022. Let's, let's, let's make it make a difference. Thank you so much, Priscilla. It's been a pleasure as always. From all the peeps at Little Bird Marketing, have a great day and happy marketing. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.